You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Student Pastor Josh Barnett. Well, open up your Bibles to Romans 4. We've got a lot to cover and a little time to do it, so we're going to dive straight in here. Um, last week we closed uh, chapter 3 of Romans where really the good news began. The first one, uh, chapter one through half of chapter three was kind of the bad news. And then the good news started. Um, <laughs> and it was really good news. Um, if you missed last week, uh, go back, listen to the podcast, check out the live stream. But chapter three, uh, it was the last half of chapter three, Paul really dove in and explained our justification by faith. And I'm not going to go into a lot of the nuances that he gave Last week, I'm going to kind of go into what he's talking about. He's talking about justification by faith again, but I'm not going to go into the nitty-gritty details that we covered um, last week. This, this concept that, that Paul was teaching, this justification by faith, was really hard for the Jews to swallow. It was really hard for them to accept because they were so used to living by the law that was taught by Moses in the Torah, in the first five books of the Old Testament. And in chapter 3, Paul used reason and argument to explain justification by faith. And here in chapter 4, he is going to argue it by illustration. So if reason and argument wasn't enough for them, he's then taking a step further. Okay, now here's an illustration. Here is an example to try to convince you that we are justified by grace alone through faith. And he's going to lay out a really convincing one for us tonight. So let's look at this. Chapter 4, let's read verses 1 through 3. It says, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way, for scriptures tell us Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. And so he's using the example of Abraham. Abraham is super important to the Jewish people. He's their patriarch. He is their, he is their father. They all consider themselves sons of Abraham. That's why he's bringing this man into focus, but kids, he is the ultimate example for them. Uh, you really cannot stress Abraham's importance enough to the Jews. This was a, probably one of their most honored, if not the most honored figures before, uh, before Jesus came. And uh, Jews at this time who believed that Jesus was the Messiah were having a really hard time disconnecting from the law to follow Jesus the Messiah out of faith. And so Paul brings Abraham into the picture to show Abe wasn't saved by obeying the law because the law hadn't even been given. So how could Abraham be made right with God if he wasn't following the law? Well, it was because of his faith. God counted him righteous because of his faith. And he, he was obedient to God, but he wasn't being necessarily obedient to the law. He was being obedient to God because he had placed his faith in God. And so that's why Paul is bringing him here. Um, and so, and again, the simple definition of faith that I gave last week is to believe God is who he says he is and that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And that's exactly what Abraham did and is why he was obedient. Abraham did do good works. He did, he did do great deeds but he did them as a result of being justified by faith. He did them as a result of being made right with God. And our salvation brings a transformation to our hearts that then cause us to do good works for the kingdom. It's salvation first and then works follow that because our heart has been transformed. It's not a works to get into salvation. Salvation has been freely given and it brings transformation to us and then we begin to do good deeds for the Lord. 
uh, works are always secondary to, to salvation. It's always salvation first and then works follow. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 is perfect. Is perfect. This is Paul also. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. Or a lot of translations say, God saved you by his grace through faith. For when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So this last part is key. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So it's not that we get out of the good works. It's just the good works don't give us salvation. They don't earn salvation. If we had been justified by works, we, even Abe, if he had been justified by his works, he could have boasted about his salvation. In Genesis 12, verse 2, God said to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. So right there, it's from the Lord. God did all of it. Abraham didn't work his way into any of that. Abraham just had to put his faith in God. And in verse 3, Paul, Paul is specifically saying this for the Jews. He says, scriptures say... So he's saying to the Jews, he's proving your Torah says in Genesis 15, 6, that Abraham believed God and God counted him righteous because of his faith. And so that is found right in Genesis. So he's saying your very scriptures, you're not believing this, you're not walking this out, but your very scriptures point to the fact that Abraham was justified by his faith. He was made righteous in the sight of God. And so he's showing this is Old Testament. This is very beginning. This is in Genesis. This, was God's, this wasn't like God's backup plan. This was his plan from the beginning to make everyone righteous by their faith. This was always his original plan, all the way back to the very beginning. <clears throat> King James words it like this, that Abraham believed and it was counted unto him as righteous. That counted word there basically means that Abraham was bankrupt his account was empty, like way empty, and nothing he did could ever work his way out of that account, and God settled it. God settled his debt. He paid Abraham's debt. He accounted him as righteous simply because Abraham put his faith in God. Let's go on, verse four and five. He's gonna play this point out a little bit more in the next two verses. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. So this is the point that Paul's making. When you do work for someone and they've agreed to pay you for that work, they are technically in your debt when you finish the work. And they have to pay you that. So that's something that you have earned. They have to settle the debt that was agreed upon before. So it's not a gift to receive your paycheck at the end of each week. We can be thankful for our paycheck, right? We can be thankful for our paycheck at the end of each week, but we work to earn that paycheck. Well, some of us do, I guess. <laughs> and Paul, so Paul's making an incredible point here that we cannot be saved by works because that seemingly would put God into our debt. And God is never in man's debt. You see, if we were working to gain something from the Lord, it would be like saying the God of all creation is now in my debt. Right? Well, you don't, you don't work to earn God's favor. It doesn't work that way. He is God and we are not. We are man. He, we are always in debt to him. He is never in debt to us. <laughs> we could never do enough work to get out of the situation that we have put ourselves in. 
And we and God's not God is not in our debt. Like we can't work up and then God's going to pay us something. It just doesn't work that way. We have put ourselves in debt. We are in debt, and God freely comes and pays it off. That's what He does. Pastor Tim is my boss. When I do work for Pastor Tim, when I work through the week, Tim is now technically in my debt and he pays me for the work that I've done for him. So that's not, that's not a gift. Now, what would be a gift, an awesome gift, is if Tim, <laughs> if Tim went down to the bank and paid my mortgage, right? He pay, if he paid off my mortgage, if he paid off my truck, if he, that would be a free gift that I didn't work to earn. Right, that is that is just that would be all grace right there, and I'm praying it in. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> he has an obligation to pay me for when I work for him, but he has no obligation to pay me any more than that unless it is a gift. Our sin has put us in a debt that we cannot pay off if we worked for all time to pay it off. But God came and paid off our debt that he did not have to. And that is an extravagant gift. It's actually the greatest gift of all time that we will ever receive. And hear me, if you're ever having a bad day, just come back to this. That man, like God paid off the debt that I owed that I was never gonna be able to pay off myself and he did it without asking anything in return. It's a free gift. That's good news. Man, that would be really good news if you... if. If, you under, if we all understood how, how tedious the law was trying to obey every single day and how heavy of a burden that was, whoo. <laughs> and not only, I want to make this distinction clear here too, not only did, did God declare us innocent, he declared us righteous. Not only did he free us from our guilt, not only did he forgive our sin, but our account wasn't settled at zero. It went from negative to positive. That's, a, that's something that we need to understand, that our account went from negative, like way negative, never be able to pay off, like infinitely negative, to infinitely positive. Because we now have the righteousness of Christ. <laughs> he didn't just pay the mortgage, he made us wealthier than we could ever imagine. We have the righteousness of Christ, which, which gives us access to the kingdom. We are... We, now we are now co-heirs with Christ, meaning we now have the authority of Christ. We are no longer debtors. We are no longer poor, blind, beggars without hope. We are now kings and queens meant, meant to reign and rule in this earth. Again, not because of anything we did. All by the grace of God because of his great love for us. We've got to understand that grace stands in, in direct opposition to works. Grace has to do with receiving the gift. Works is always trying to earn God's favor. And some of us are still working to pay off a debt that's already been paid. It would be like Tim paying off my mortgage and me still sending money to the bank every month. Doesn't make sense. But a lot of us have been saved by grace through faith and we are still striving and trying to earn something from God that's already been given. We just have to rest in his finished work. And Isaiah would say that your righteousness, that your works, that you're trying to do to earn God's favor are like filthy rags. And if you want to do a word study, I'll let you go figure out what that is because it's really gross. God doesn't want your works. He just wants you. And if you get God, if you understand this relationship that you have with him, you'll do good works for him. 
It'll just be a byproduct of what you're already walking in. It's a good point, Josh. Thank you for that. <laughs> and uh, let's go on to the next couple of verses. Uh, verse 6 and 8. It says, David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those who, whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. And Paul's just pulling out the big guns here because not only does he, does he use the father of the Jews, their patriarch, their hero, he now quotes their greatest king in history. He now quotes Abraham. If Abraham is like their greatest father, their greatest patriarch, David is their greatest hero. I mean, these are two guys that the Jews honored more than anybody. And David is going, and Paul is going to bring both of them in this together. He's quoting David from Psalms 32. And David knew what it was like to be a filthy, wretched sinner. He did some awful things. Not only did he commit adultery, but he committed murder. He's a bad dude. But he also knew the joy that it was to be completely forgiven. How blessed is the man, one translation says, who has been imputed with God's righteousness. Abraham, how how are you a man who commits adultery and murder, but are also in scripture described after a man after God's own heart? How come your Hebrew name, David, means the beloved one? God looks at you, sees him like that, and he was guilty of adultery and murder. If, listen, if David's going on trial, he's condemned. He's guilty. There's nothing that he can do. But he understood by faith that he was justified, that he was made righteous in the sight of God, that, it, that God's righteousness was imputed on him. If David was judged on works alone, he's done. He's out. But he knew by experience that the goodness of God is freely given and sets even the most evil men free. Let's move on. Verse 9 through 12 says, now this is the blessing. Now is this a blessing only for the Jews or is it also for the uncircumcised Gentiles? Well, we've been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised, circumcised or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual fathers of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. He was obviously circumcised after he had, had righteousness. So after the first argument that, uh, that Paul made there, the Jews would have said, well, what, you know, what about circumcision? He got circumcised. Doesn't that like prove his faith? And then Paul goes, no, it's clear in your Torah, in your scripture, in Genesis 15 is when he was declared righteous. And Paul would point out and say, in Genesis 17 is when Abraham was circumcised. And most scholars believe that was 14 to 25 years after he was declared righteous that he was circumcised. And so it wasn't because of circumcision that he was made right. Abe was pardoned and accepted before circumcision. Now, this would have been a great relief for the Gentiles um, who were being pressured by the Jews to be circumcised so that they could be a part of this faith. It also would have brought the pride down because some of these Jews were like, you know, I've been circumcised. This is like my badge of honor and I'm a better Christian than you. 
And, that, and then Paul's going, no, like, no, we're all on the same playing field here. Abraham now is the father of all who would believe by faith. And uh, man, this is uh, <laughs> this verse right here, Galatians 5, 2 through 5, Paul really gets them right here. He said, listen, I, Paul, tell you this, if you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. Woo! And then he says, I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, then you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. That's intense. Like that. So like you put it on our plane, like if, you, if basically Paul be saying, if you're trying to be made right with God by your works, you're cut off. You don't even understand who Jesus is. You don't even understand what he came to do. That's what Paul is saying right here. You have fallen away from God's grace, but we who live by the spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. Now, Circumcision might be a seal of righteousness, but is not what caused righteousness. Sealing something takes place after a bargain. Things are sealed and signed after a bargain takes place. If there's a bargain going between me and Tim, and he's going to sell me this piece of property for that price, well, then there's a lot, of, a lot of paperwork and all that, but that comes after we've already agreed upon it. And so this is something Abraham did after his faith already made him righteous. There's already a covenant between Abraham and God. This is just now a seal that God asked him to do, and because Abraham loved God, because he was in right standing with God, because of his faith, because he believed in God, when God said, hey, Abraham, I I need you to do this, which by the way, if God came to you at 75 years old and said, I need you to be circumcised. And you're like, what's that? And he explained it. What? (laughs) Are you serious? Like that, that, but Abraham never does that. But I would be like, uh, no, thank you. (laughs) You, you had to have said that wrong God, because that is just, that sounds crazy. (laughs) But circumcision just like our works are a byproduct of our righteousness. Circumcision didn't make Abe righteous. Abe's righteous, he was righteous because, uh, because of his faith in God. But his righteousness made him want to obey God. And, and like circumcision, uh, circumcision is like baptism. It was an outward sign of an inward transformation. So it wasn't like you... like. It's not like you had to do this work, but it's because I have been transformed on the inside. Man, I want to be baptized. I want to declare my love and my faith in God. I want the whole world to know. That, that is a good example for us. <clears throat> and can I just say, you know, thank God, circumcision is lo- no longer required, especially if uh, whenever you become older, thank God we do it at babies. Like, you know, all, all the men should say amen on that, but, you know, I am, I am extremely grateful. I want to play out this point with circumcision. I would say that we are now, all of us, spiritually circumcised. Circumcision was a sign in a private place that they were the people of God. Circumcision was a sign made in a private place that they were the people of God. And I would say that we now receive a seal. We now receive a spiritual circumcision in our secret place with the Lord. Because we go into this, and when I say secret place, I mean like your quiet time with God. 
I mean your Devo time. I mean the time that you spend in prayer, the time that you spend reading your word. Because when you do, when you do that, when you pursue this private relationship with the Lord, he does it in a loving way, but God comes and he cuts on us. He comes and he prunes us. He comes and he convicts us. We go into the secret place of the Lord and, and it hurts. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes he calls us to lay things down. Sometimes he points things out. You know, like we're saved, we're pursuing the Lord. And, and this, is, you know, I've been pursuing the Lord for years and years and there's things that God brings in my secret place and says, hey, I want you to give me that. And I'm like, that? Or he comes to me and says, you're full of pride. It hurts. <laughs> it hurts. But why does he cut on us? Why does he prune us? Because he wants us to produce more fruit. He wants us to produce more fruit. Do you know that most fruit-bearing trees, the first couple years, two, three years of their life, they are really of no value to farmers because they come and they cut off the fruit that they're beginning to grow. Why? Because that tree will be too immature to hold that fruit up and the branches will break and splinter. And so they come and they cut off that fruit so that the nutrients go into the roots instead of to the fruit, because when your roots grow strong and deep, guess what? You grow big and strong and you can produce much more fruit than you could if he didn't come and cut on you. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit works on us. He convicts us so that we will be transformed into the image of Christ. Later on in Romans 8, Paul says, you were predestined to be transformed in the image of Christ. God marked them in a private place. And if you'll let God mark you in a private place, the proof will come in public. If you'll, let, if you'll go into the secret place, guess what you'll start bearing in the, in the public place? The fruit of the spirit. Well, I just, I can't seem to get any self-control. Well, then get in that prayer closet and stay on your knees. I just don't have any patience with my kids. Well, then get in that prayer closet and get on your knees. I just don't love anybody. Then get in that prayer closet and get on your knees. Because you can't go into that place and not come out different. Now, it may not happen overnight. Sometimes it does. That's awesome. But year after year after year, if you will continue to go into that place daily, as much as you can, he'll come and he'll prune you. And it'll be incredible. It'll hurt at first, but it'll be awesome. You'll begin to welcome it. You'll begin to say, God, you'll have the heart of David. Psalms 139, search my heart, O Lord. What in me offends you? I want to get it out. Mm. We cannot become dependent on the meeting, on the camp, on the church service, on the conference. I thank God for what he does in meetings. I thank God for what he does in church services. But hear me tonight, church services do not replace your secret place. Church services do not replace your bedroom. They do not replace your prayer closet. They do not replace that, that cup of coffee that you have on, on your back deck every morning spending time in the word. Church, that you're coming to church service is not your relationship with the Lord. Right? <laughs> if, me, if me and my wife only had a relationship when we were in front of people, that wouldn't be much of a relationship. We can't be those types of people. We're, we love God when we're in church, but when we go out of church, we just don't even think about it and don't even care about him. It's an all-the-time relationship. It's an all-the-time communion with him. Paul said to pray without ceasing. That means I'm in constant relationship with the Father because of what Jesus did for me. Let's move on. Verse 13. <clears throat> 
Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only, the only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. Verse 16, so the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift and we are all certain to receive it. Whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. This is what the scripture means when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. That's powerful. That's awesome. Paul's trying to make it clear in these, in these five verses here that Abraham is the father of all who believe. And I know that doesn't seem like a big deal now, but if you were, if you were in this culture and there were, there were Jews and there were Gentiles, this was a big argue, This is a big discrepancy. Even Gentiles who were saved, who went into synagogues, who went into places, they were not allowed to call Abraham their father. They had to say, they had to, say to the Jews, he's your father. That was like such a sacred thing to him. And for them to read, Abraham is now the father of all believers, that would have been very offensive to the Jews. And so Paul's coming in here and like, we're, gonna br- we're bringing this thing together. They have been grafted in. They are now family. And, Paul, and because he's the father of all, he is now our example of being saved by faith. That we have right relationship with God, not because he, he had right Sorry, I can't talk. He had right relationship with God because he had, not because he had obeyed the law, but because he's put his faith in Christ. And so now, not just the Jews, but also us, we are made right with God because we put our faith in. Just, just like parents are examples to their kids, Abraham is our example. Yeah. Yeah. Just like parents are examples to their kids, we, our example now is Abraham, he was justified by faith. That's the point that Paul's trying to make here. <clears throat> and, all, and, and that we're not saved by the law. That all the law does is show us that we are guilty, that we are in need of salvation but that the law cannot bring salvation because no one can obey it fully. Not even Abraham. There were some Jews who believe Abraham never sinned. And that is clearly not right. Abraham had sex with Hagar. That was not his wife because God had given him a promise and it was taken too long for him and Sarah. And so he breaks God's law. He commits adultery. He becomes disobedient to God and sleeps with another woman that's not his wife to like force God's hand. Tim talked about that on Sunday morning. You don't force God into a corner. And that's exactly what Abraham and Sarah were trying to do. And you know what? We're still facing consequences of that decision. Really bad ones. Isaac is the father, was, became the father of Israel, the father of all, you could say, of Christians. And Ishmael came the father of all Muslims. And so you see, you know, here we are 2,000 years, 4,000 years later. And there's war all over the world. Because one man... Didn't wait on God's timing. That's scary. <clears throat> God's promise to Abraham is that he would be the heir of the world, the father of many nations. God's promises are received by faith, not by obedience to the law. Again, we don't put God into our debt. We don't obey, obey him because we want something from him. That's not the way that it works. We obey him because we love him and we have put our faith in him. When our faith is in him, we will then surely obey him. 
And if we surely obey him, we will receive the promises that he has for us, but it's because of our faith, not because we're obeying the Mosaic law. By faith, we receive this grace, this free gift given to us. And I love that last verse, by a God who brings the dead back to life. That's us. We were dead and he brought us back to life. We are the new things. We are the new creations. Dead people don't bring themselves back to life. Just like we could, you you were dead. There's no way you can work to bring yourself back to life because you were dead. You were utterly hopeless. And God brought us back to life. Lazarus was dead. He didn't bring himself back to life. Jesus did. Jesus was dead. This might mess with you a little bit. Jesus didn't bring himself back to life. Romans 8, 11, the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. The Holy Spirit brought Jesus back to life. He was a dead man in a grave and the Holy Spirit came and raised him back to life. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead now dwells in you and quickens your mortal body. So the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that brought Jesus back to life brought you to life and quickens your mortal body. Quickens it, heals it, brings you supernatural energy and power, brings you resurrection life. That's what the Holy Spirit does on the inside of me and you. And that's good news. (laughs) This isn't a cute little teaching. This is the miraculous power of God. This isn't something that we just gloss over. This is something that we read and rejoice in. This is incredible, incredible news. All right, let's finish this up. Romans 18 through 25. We're going to get through this whole thing tonight. I honestly didn't think we were. So we'll get to start chapter five next week. And chapter five is so good. They're all good, but I love chapter five. Verse 18, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept on hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. But Abraham never wavered in believing God's promises. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. Abraham's faith, uh, sorry, I skipped a line. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises, verse 22. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Mm. Abraham's had such great faith in God that when he went to sacrifice his one and only son, Isaac, on the altar for the Lord. He, so Abraham, you're going to be a father of many nations, 75 years old, father of many nations. He had no kids. I don't know many people who have had a kid after 75. It just doesn't really work that way. And so I'd be like, you know, he, he brings Abraham out and shows him the stars and says, you're going to have this many descendants. They're going to outnumber the stars that you see right now. And Abraham looks and goes, you know, that would be super weird to hear, but Abraham believed. But Abraham still didn't have Isaac until he was about 100. And after he, has, after he has Isaac, then God says, hey, I want you to lay him on the altar and kill him. What? 
That, like, there are crazy things that God told Abraham, and Abraham never questioned. And how many times does, does God tell us to do simple things, and we reason our way out of them? Or, yeah, that, might, that wasn't the Holy Spirit, that was just my feelings. God told Abraham, why don't you go kill your son? And in, in Genesis, it says this. After that, it's, Abraham never questioned. It said, early the next morning, early the next morning, he packs up his stuff, wakes up Isaac, we're going to the mountain. I love Hebrews 11 says that, that Abraham had such great faith in God that he reasoned that God was gonna bring Isaac back to life. He, re, he, he had faith that he was gonna kill Isaac, but God was gonna supernaturally raise him from the dead. <clears throat> Do we have that kind of faith in God? Do we have that kind of faith to lay everything on the altar, to trust him, to put our, our, our complete faith in him, our plans over to him 100%? Do we have that unwavering demo, devotion to not even ask why, to not even ask are you sure? To not even reason our way out, do we have that kind of faith? Are we fully convinced that God will do everything that he promises? God, all of God's promises are yes and amen. But they're not just gonna happen just because they're a promise. There's a, there's a, a part that we play in that. Isaac was not an immaculate conception. Jesus was, but Isaac wasn't immaculate. The Holy Spirit didn't come and make Sarah pregnant. Who got Sarah pregnant? Abraham. Because he had faith in the Lord. And maybe there's a reason we don't receive some of the promises that God has for him, has for us, because maybe we don't have faith like Abraham had. Maybe we don't know what's in our account. Maybe we think our account's been settled and it's at zero, but we don't realize that we actually have a surplus in our account. That we have the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead in us. Jesus did die for our sins to make us right with God, but not to just go to heaven when we die, but to have faith like Abraham. And through this faith, we've been given authority to see the dead raised to life spiritually and physically. We've been given authority to heal the sick. We've been given access to the kingdom of God. God didn't just save us from hell, but he saved us for heaven and not for heaven when you die. Eternal life is right now. Eternal life starts when you get saved. Heaven on earth, his kingdom on earth. He has given us the authority to build his kingdom on earth. But we have to believe that. Abraham was fully convinced. Are we fully convinced? You don't even be fully convinced. You just got a faith the size of a mustard seed. I was listening to a sermon earlier today and the guy was saying that there's a mountain in a lot of our ways, but we put on climbing gear. And God just says, if you got faith like a mustard seed, maybe you're not supposed to climb over that mountain. Maybe you're supposed to sit and pray that it will be removed. Do we have that kind of faith? Fully believing that God will do what he says he's gonna do. Faith, faith doesn't mean doing nothing. 
Faith doesn't mean doing nothing. In James, it talks about faith and works. Those things got to be married together. Faith doesn't mean doing nothing. Abraham had to do something. He had to chase Sarah around that tent. (laughs) Poor guy. He had to pursue something in a secret place in order to get, see the promise fulfilled. We've got to pursue something in a secret place to see the promises of God fulfilled. Because when you go into the secret place, when you come out, you come out bold and you come out courageous and you come out full of faith. In this verse right here, it says that Abraham's faith grew stronger. Your faith may be small. Little faith, little belief gets you saved, but your faith builds and grows stronger. But it grows stronger when you go after him in a place of devotions. If you'll go after him in a private place, your place of devotion, your faith will build. You'll begin to hear the voice of the Lord. You'll begin to experience the kingdom. Faith doesn't mean doing nothing. Faith means agreeing with God and co-laboring with him. This is, it's the New Testament. It's the kingdom. It's the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus preached. I'll end with this. this was, I just want to say this from verse 25. Where was verse 25? Let me read that to you. Verse 25. That wasn't it. I'm so sorry. I got my notes mixed up here. It's y'all's fault. Y'all got me all... Y'all got me all excited. Where did I put it? There it is. Verse 25. Let's read 24 too. The B clause. The one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with God. We are not saved by having faith in doctrine. We are not, we are not saved by going to church. We're not saved by going to Bible college. We're not saved by reading our Bible and knowing it inside and out. We're not saved by being disciplined in our prayer life. We are saved. You're not even saved by by believing that God is real and that Jesus is the son of God. We are saved by grace when we put our faith in this. And this is what Paul wanted to be clear about as as he ended Genesis, as he ended Romans 4. That Jesus Christ is the son of God who died on the cross in our place because of his great love for us. And, it doesn't stop at the cross, and he was raised back to life three days later so that we could have resurrection life, so that we could enter his kingdom. That's the gospel. Amen? All right, y'all stand with me. I'll let you get out of here. Let's pray as we dismiss. God, we thank you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this good news. This good news, Lord, that just seems, <laughs> it's too good to be true, Lord. It just doesn't make sense to us. Your grace is so amazing. It's so wonderful. It's so incredible. It's so beautiful, Lord. We're so thankful. We're so thankful to you, Lord. There was nothing we could do but your great love for us. Because of your great love, you came. You died on the cross, Lord. You rose again three days later so that all we had to do was believe and we would be forever eternally saved. Forever eternally with you, God. You are our gift that we get. It's you, Lord. You're better than everything. You're better than anything we could imagine, anything that we could dream of. You're an incredible God. You're a loving God. You're an incredible Father. We worship you, Lord. We thank you, God. 
Lord, I ask that tonight would just be empowering to someone in this room, that it would build up someone's faith, God, that they would understand that the Holy Spirit is here to quicken our mortal bodies, not so that we have to just survive and coast through life, but God, we can thrive in your kingdom, that the kingdom of God is peace, joy, and righteousness in the Holy Ghost. That we can have a peace that passes all understanding and we can have a joy that is unexplainable because we have right relationship with you because the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us and Jesus imputed his righteousness to us. Lord, we love you. We're grateful to you. Go before us this week. Build up our faith. Lord, so that we can be the shining light. We can be the church that you've called us to be. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said amen and amen. God bless you. You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.